to chew the Bible. Is that all the way up? Is that all the way up? Boom. Gotta make them make sure the mic was turned all the way up. Do 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 let's do this real quick. How's that? Test one, two, three. Stuff you should do before you even start the podcast. But oh well, here we go. It's gonna roll. It's your good friend AA Ron. Hope everyone is having an amazing day. It is January 2nd, 2023. We are in John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Favorite chapters all time. I need to rank them one day. Like Genesis 38, John 4, John 8. That was like my top three. Somewhere about David in there. I'll have to go back and see what chapter that is. David is kind of long. I like these chapters where just like the whole chapter is one story. Just boom. Anyway, uh, we're in John chapter 4. Talking about the woman at the well. Or I'm calling this Wanda at the well. Because as I've said before, eventually I want to write a book about all the nameless people in the Bible. God knew their name, but for some reason he didn't. The writers chose not to put the person's actual name in here. A lot of times they'll just refer to, like here the heading says, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So, here we go. I'm calling it Wanda at the will, not WandaVision. Wanda, not Wanda, not Wanda Sykes. I've never actually seen WandaVision. It kind of looks creepy. Alright, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard. I'll be reading on the NLT, New Living Translation, by the way. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. I really want to say that. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Hmm. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Mm, I will give you living water. I'm going to repeat that line again. Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I will give you living water. So much there. That, that is a whole sermon right there. The gift God has for you, who you are speaking to, living water. That's why in life, you never know who you're talking to. You could be talking to the very person that God is going to use to bless you. Do, do, do. All right. Verse 11. But, sir, you don't have a rope or. All right. Now, let me pause for a second. I just had these thoughts. So I'm trying to make these this recording short again. Let's see here. 
try not to go for an hour, but look, look at these, look at these, what we've talked about already. Come on, come on, Wi-Fi. All right, so chapter one was Air Jesus. Why did I call it Air Jesus? What were we even talking about in chapter one? Oh, the sandals. Yes, because John the Baptist said, like, basically, I'm not even fit to tie his the strap of his sandal or whatever. Like, I'm not even worthy to do that. Basically, everybody thought John the Baptist was the one that people should be following. He's like, nah, nah, there's somebody coming that's greater. I'm just here to testify about Jesus. And yeah, he said, I'm not even fit or worthy to tie the strap of his sandal. All right, Rhea Nitti, which was Jesus turning water into wine. That was John 2. And then John 3, we talked about being born again and being born water in the spirit. But, you know, water, baptism, baptism doesn't save us, but it's an outward demonstration of what's been done on the inside. Wow. So we got all that going on. Cause didn't Jesus get baptized in John 1? Oh, my brain goes down these rabbit holes. Jesus. Let me turn this off. Baptized. John. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I knew it. Yep, I'm right. Jesus gets baptized at the end of John chapter 1 by John the Baptist. Then in John 2, wow, my brain is going to... So Jesus got baptized. Then he's about to like, he's he's things are unfolding because he's like, all right, I turn at the first miracle he does is turn water into wine, which is a foreshadowing of his blood that's going to be shed for us, which is actually the true salvation that doesn't hasn't hasn't happened yet. We're going to get there. And then he tells Nicodemus about the importance of being born again in John chapter three. And remember, I was talking about how like women, isn't it crazy that women, when they have give birth, their water breaks. That's how I knew like our first daughter was about to be born. I remember, I never forget it. I have a vivid image in my head of being at the apartment with my former wife in Peoria, Illinois. And, um, before we took her to Proctor hospital, She's like, my water broke. I think she was in the shower, taking a shower. No. I just remember, yeah, her water broke, and then she went and took a shower real fast because she wanted to be somewhat clean before she went. I vividly, I feel like I remember her taking a shower before we went there. Anyway, TMI probably. But yes, women's water breaks. And Nicodemus thought at first that Jesus, when Jesus was talking about how you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God, he thought he was talking about natural birth. And Jesus, he was like, what do you mean? I got to go back in my mother's womb. And Jesus like, how are you the teacher of religious law? Haven't you been studying the scriptures? You should know this stuff. I'm talking about me. You have to be born again. You have to accept me into your heart. And that's part of being born again. And yeah, by accepting me, you into your heart that's how you have the new birth of being born of water and the spirit the holy spirit now resides on the inside of you anyway it's some deep stuff going on here so now we're in john 4 and here's this woman at the well going to get natural water and jesus is about to put her on game all right so about to 
this is this is really cool. My mind is being blown right now. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I will give you living water. But, sir, yeah, because and for those of y'all don't know that are new to this stuff, you can go do research on this. Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. They were kind of like the Bloods and the Crips or I don't know, the Shuni and the Shiites, Sunni Shiites, whatever in the Middle East. Yeah, just think, yeah, St. Louis, no, Missouri and Kansas. Yeah, that beef. Uh, all right, where else? Hold on, where else? What else? What else? We got? All right, verse 11. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Who gave us this well? I read that wrong. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? I bet Jesus like wanted to roll his eyes, but he's Jesus, so he can't roll his eyes, can he? Did Jesus ever roll his eyes? I bet he had to, at least with his disciples, at least once. Or Nicodemus. Or the Pharisees. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And who are you? This woman, sound, Wanda, sounds like uh, some women I've encountered in my life. Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Mr. Big Stuff? All right. Jesus is like, I can, I'm from the show me state. I can show you better than I can tell you. Verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. On that note, I'm a little thirsty. I had to take a little sip, sip, sip of my water. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come. I won't have to come here to get water. Then I won't have to come here to get water. This is interesting. I'm going to keep reading. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Now, this is weird. Like, what what, what the husband got to do with this? I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Mm. Now, remember we talked about the number five is the number of grace. It's interesting that, yeah, five husbands. I just automatically think there's grace in this situation. Like, even though Jesus is calling her out on her stuff, she's in a situation where she's shacking with a current guy, as the old grandmas would say. She's shacking, living in sin, 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 sin. And she's been married five times before. So this woman, I'm sure, has had... I would love to interview those five husbands and ask each of them, what what what, what, what happened? What, 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 what happened? What happened with Wanda? What did you do? What did she do? Why didn't it work out? This woman was looking for up in all the wrong places. She obviously had had her heart broken multiple times. Maybe maybe those husbands died. 
um, the fact that her current husband, I mean, the current guy she's with isn't her husband. Maybe she was a promiscuous woman. Who knows? There's a whole lot of things you could read into the text here and use your imagination. But it is safe to say this woman, to get married five times, I was just looking last night, just a side note, I was looking at the, the divorce statistics and how exponentially they, it's like close to 50% of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. We have like the fifth or fourth highest divorce rate in the entire world. And then that number increases to like 60 or 70% for second marriages. And then it goes up even higher for third marriages and so forth and so forth, which is why I'm hesitant to get married again. But, um, yeah, this is, this is a very, there's so many directions you can go. If you were to preach a sermon on this particular passage, there's so many different directions you could go within this one chapter. That's why I love it so much. I think everybody, I think the key though, I think the key when reading this though, this particular chapter is whether you're married or not married, instead of like thinking of like substitute the word husband for affection or the world, because Basically, what God is saying, I feel like, and I'm going to keep reading, is like, you will not find any satisfaction or affection or all the things that you want out of life that you desire and that God-sized hole that he placed in us. You will not find any satisfaction in the things of this world. You only find it in Jesus. And like that old Sprite commercial, Obey Your Thirst, Sprite, only thing is when you drink Sprite. And you obey that thirst and you drink it, you it doesn't really quench your thirst because it's sugar, it's a sugary drink. Only thing that actually fills your thirst, quenches your thirst is actual water, pure pure water. And even this, I still get thirsty from time to time throughout the day. You have to drink like they say you're supposed to drink like eight glasses of water a day, right? So Anyway, where's I going with all that? With Jesus, we're never thirsty. I wonder when I'll be thirsty again. I wonder what we'll drink in heaven. What will the drinks be like? I imagine they'll be like really good wine, Rianiti, but it won't get you drunk. It will just make you feel good. It will be all the positive parts of drinking wine that you get without all the like feeling like you need to throw up and you know, head starts spinning, alcohol poisoning, liver damage, all that. Anyway, all right, here we go. Let me read that line again. Verse 17, she said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied, or Wanda replied. Like, once again, her name is not actual Wanda. I don't want y'all to think it's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I'm just giving her a name just for fun. I don't have a husband, Wanda replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. Now, you certainly spoke the truth, sir. The woman said, uh, let me do the woman voice, sir. The woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship 
while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Now, this is strange to me. Does any, like, I don't know. That's why I like to slow down when I read the Bible, because Jesus calls her out. She's like, yeah, you're right, which is weird in itself, a woman actually saying a man is right. A complete stranger man as well. <laughs> oh, man, I apologize. Y'all can be like, don't be sending me emails saying you're misogynistic. No, I just like this. I, hey, you're going to get my full on perspective as I read this. And I eventually love, I can, I'll actually look, one of my favorite things about that I look forward to and hopefully getting married again is having a spouse to bring on my podcast with me. Um, on Chew the Bible and talk about this stuff and get her perspective. Just like my old friend, K Dog, uh, Courtney in St. Louis that I almost dated from high school. Uh, or even Steffi Curry that I had on here. We had a good, I'm not supposed to talk about her on my podcast. She she uh, forbade me from doing that. So, yeah, that lady that I had on my podcast, I can't remember, remember what recording it was. It was, I don't even remember. I have to go back and listen. But, yeah, I love hearing a woman's perspective on these things. So you're going to get the, the guy perspective right now. And one is wild that, yeah, she she said, you're right. You certainly spoke the truth. You got me, you got me, Jesus, Mr. Jew, uh, Jewish man. You got me. Yeah, the current husband I'm with. I mean, the current guy I'm with, I'm not married to. I'm shacking. And yeah, uh, I have had five husbands. Wow, you, you, you are definitely, you must be a prophet. And then, but here we go. Why does she automatically switch the subject? Anyone else think that's strange? She just automatically changes the subject to. So tell me why. Like, why? What is what is the point of this? Why she even bring this up? So tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? That's interesting. I need to read more about the history of Jacob's will and Mount Gerizim versus Jerusalem and all that. Anyway, what they're actually talking about here. Later on, I'll read some... Y'all can go read some commentary on this stuff. All right, we're in verse 21 now. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Ooh. I wonder if that could be... That would be... Honestly, I feel... That's one of my gut feelings in the church right now. A lot of us as Christians don't really know a whole lot about Jesus, the one we worship. That's the beauty of living and existing. You get to, as you spend time with him and talk to him, and you start to learn more about the nature of God and who he actually is as a loving father, a forgiving father, a gracious father, a kind father, a father that actually disciplines us too. Uh, but uh, yeah, learning about the one we worship. While we Jews know all about him, Mm, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, true worship worshipers, T-R-U-E, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit 
and in truth. That is deep. So deep. But we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. I feel like I don't know, I'm gonna say one thing. Like this whole insisting on worshiping should be done on Mount Gerizim near Jacob's well, whatever, or in Jerusalem. It kind of reminds me of like all the different denominations of churches we have and the types of worship and things. And at the end of the day, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. He doesn't care about denominations. And I think he does appreciate the beauty of all of the diversity in worship and styles of I'm trying to be careful with the words I say styles of like praise. But when it comes to like who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong, should we have instruments? Should we not have instruments? Should we wear pants, not wear pants? <laughs> should we wear hoodies or wear suits? Like all, yeah, church clothes, not church. What is considered church clothes? Yeah, I don't think he cares about any of that stuff. He cares most about whether or not we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And honestly, I have an idea of what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, but I don't think I fully even understand that concept yet at thir- age 35. And I've been walking with the Lord for 29 years since I was six years old. So, all right, let's keep going for this approaches an hour. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus is about to be like woman you have no idea then jesus told her i am the messiah it is i aha uh-huh. you're speaking to the messiah i'm right in front of you it's me jesus baby verse 27 just then his disciples came back they were shocked to find him talking to a woman <laughs> i wonder why they shocked to find him talking to it just says shocked to find him talking to a woman why why are they shocked I guess, was it because it was a custom that man and a woman wouldn't normally be alone? I think that's the case. Women and men normally weren't alone like that, especially if she wasn't covered. I don't know. I'm sure there's some kind of custom thing breakage going on here. The fact that Jesus is alone with this woman having a conversation. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? (laughs) They didn't have the nerve to question him. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. So this is, all right, I'm going to keep going. There's so many, oh, I just love this book. I just love this chapter. Because look, she came, I'm sure she had a long walk to go get the water, right? And it's probably a heavy jar. There was people probably depending on that water for like to wash dishes, to take a bath, uh, to drink, whatever. Even if it's just a drink. I'm sure that water was important. There was a reason she went to go get that water. But she sets the water jug down. And not she doesn't walk home back to her village. She runs. She's excited to tell everybody about this Messiah. That's this Jesus, right? And I think there's a lot we can learn from that about, once again, that jar or the water um, of the water or um, a husband. Remember we talked about, I was saying like sub out husband for the things of this world and that water 
represents like I, there's the physical will and then there's the spiritual will, which is Jesus. Like Jesus desires to give us his water that makes us never thirsty again. So she's setting down the natural thing. And like I like to fill in when I think of this, I like to fill in the blank. Like when I talk to people and I share this story of John four, when people are going through breakups or they uh, are dealing with alcohol or an addiction to anything. And I'm challenged with this myself. Um, nothing in this world can replace what Jesus offers, offers us. There's all these whales, like sex, a spouse, money, a career, education, uh, fun, like having, you know, activities, doing activities, traveling the world. It's all these things, wells that we go to to like make us feel better. Thinking like every time we drink from it, it's going to make us better and just make us happy and give us joy and give us peace. And eventually that well runs dry. But Jesus' well is always full. It never runs dry and it's pure. And so I God purposely, I feel like, made all these wells. There's an emptiness. If you hear people's stories that have become famous or made lots of money, they will talk about having all this success, but there's this emptiness and there's this loneliness. When you realize, like, the beautiful spouse, you have the trophy wife, the trophy husband, the money, the fame, the whatever, the success, according to this world standards, doesn't satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. All right. The woman left her water jar before the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Hmm. Hmm. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Did somebody bring us, you know, some wings, some chicken wings, some go chicken go, some Popeyes, the peanut wings, mm, some Chipotle? Did somebody bring him some Chipotle? Then Jesus explained, "My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work." You know the saying: "For mouths being planting, for my bad, not mouths." For months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Oh, my bad. I read that wrong. Four months, number four. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. So every time we share the gospel with somebody 
and they're brought from death into eternal life. That's part of harvesting. That's what we're called to do. That's the Great Commission when Jesus says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And I think it says here, what does it say? Yeah, the workers are many. I mean, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Does it say that here? I don't think it Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, let's keep going. Many Samaritans believe. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Hmm. So isn't that amazing? Perfect example of how uh, the power of multiplication and seeds planting seeds Jesus planted a seed into this woman she realized he's the Messiah and then she goes and tells her whole village and the whole village gets saved that's something a prayer that I have to pray often like Lord restore to me the joy of my salvation when I f what's that one song take me back dun, 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 dun. take me back dear Lord to the place where I first received you. I think that's Andre Couch. Crouch. Crouch. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, when I first believe. Because there's something about the older we get, the more the gospel becomes like boring. I don't want to say boring, but like not as fresh. You know, like in a relationship. Yeah, it's a perfect example. They call it the honeymoon phase or like the 90 day high, the that period of infatuation, the infatuation stage. It's like when you first give your life to Jesus, you're so excited. You're caught up in all the the hoopla. You know, they people are clapping and cheering at the, you know, if you gave your life at an actual church building. Or if you even gave your life, especially if you gave your life at like a church setting and everybody's clapping and like, yeah, clap it up, clap it up. From Ron Ron, from Wanda gave her life to Jesus. We had 250 people give their life at this big crusade today to Jesus, and everybody's ah, we're gonna go change the world and tell everybody about him. And then, like, after a while, some trials hit, some tribulations hit, you're like, I don't know, this Christian thing is for me. <laughs> and yeah, the years go by, months go by, you deal with church hurt. You deal with disappointments, you deal with divorce, you deal with anger issues, you deal with sadness and broken hearts, money problems, all this stuff, persecution, and yeah, just torment, lies of the devil, whatever, constantly attacking you, and you're like, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just barely hanging on, like, you almost are at times hesitant to tell people about Jesus because you know by telling them like their their life is never going to be the same in a good way eternally but temporarily here on earth it may not go very well for them they're going to deal with even more struggles and problems like and challenges and it's not going to be a bed of roses just because you give your life to Jesus and that's a hard pill for people to swallow Christian and non-Christian 
You could possibly be martyred for your faith. Have your head chopped off. That's what happens in other countries. Go look up the magazine Voice of the Martyrs. All right, where was I? Let's keep going. My conversation with this is getting a little morbid. All right, Jesus heals an official son. Verse 43, at the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. Mm. So it's all coming full circle. Got baptized, goes to the wedding, turns the water into wine. Talks to Nicodemus about the importance of being born again. John 4, now he talked to the woman at the well. And now he had Jacob's will. And now, here we go. He's back in Canaan where he turned the water into water. Here was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. So somehow the word got out about Jesus and who he was. And probably, yeah, when he turned turn that water into wine, like, hey, he can turn water into wine. He can definitely heal my son. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. Sorry, my stomach's growling. I might hear that. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, this is Jesus' second miracle, right? First one was turning water into wine. And isn't it amazing that this man, that's some, some amazing, amazing faith that he disbelieved Jesus' word. Like, hey, he said, go back home. When you go back home, your son will be, he'll be alive. He'll be good. And it says the man believed and the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Jesus, I want that kind of faith because I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't have that kind of faith right now. I really don't to like the things that I'm believing for things that I promises of God that I feel like he's placed in my heart. If it were me in that situation, honestly, on the way back home, I'd be like, I don't know. I mean, water in the wine, saving my little boy from dying, that's 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 a big stretch, you know. Water and wine, he could have done like a little magic trick or something with that, you know. Put some food coloring or some kind of flavoring, you know. He could have done something, but some little trick. keeping my boy from dying that's a whole nother level right or yeah i know for as christians there's if you lived long enough you've seen or just been in a human long enough you've seen times where people believed and they prayed that somebody would live and not die prayed over them somebody in a coma Somebody, you know, dealing with, had a heart attack, whatever it is, you name it, fill in the blank. They prayed earnestly, like, God, please have the whole church fasting, praying, like, Lord, please save this person, save this person, help them to not die. And the person died. 
What does that do to a person's face? I don't know about y'all, but that is a perfect opportunity for doubt to creep in and for you to doubt that Jesus is still a healer. Because I've heard others at the same time. I've heard several stories of people being healed. And then you got that whole extreme camp of people out there doing shady stuff and creating these fake miracles or whatever and taking money from people and doing kind of shady stuff, like exploiting the gift of healing. So it makes people even more skeptical of healing. So honestly, in my opinion, personally in 2023 i feel like it would be a whole lot harder especially got tvs everywhere and movies and documentaries about this stuff it would be a whole lot harder for someone like us to have the same amount of faith and belief that this man did but there's something about naive naivete or naive being naive or being like a child you know a child children are gullible they just believe whatever you tell them you know you can make up stuff or just young teen girls or 20 young 20 college year old college girls you can tell them just about anything like is that real for real seriously you're joking right no you're wow i can't believe it oh my goodness anyway yes they will believe everything you're saying right sometimes i do that with my uber riders sometimes i'll just make up stories just be silly um just have fun but yeah do, 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 but I can't do that too much because then I'll think I'm a liar and yeah, I have to, yeah. So, but what, where was I going with that? Yes. I feel like personally that the Lord, ha- he understands this generation and he understands it's okay to wrestle with God. But the best thing that we can do, the smartest thing that we can do is just have childlike faith. Because think about it, our whole, even salvation experience, our whole existence as a Christian is predicated on us having childlike faith, being not a gullibleness to it. Because we know we're, that's why there's this whole debate on like when a child can accept Jesus into, the, Jesus into their heart and have a, um, and at what age do children enter the age of accountability where they can be held accountable for their actions and go to heaven or hell based on their decision to accept Jesus in their heart. Anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. I think we'll get to that later on in the New Testament. But my main point is, so if our salvation is from jump, our relationship with Jesus is based on this level of trust and um, having this childlike faith, uh, like faith like this man where he just believed that his son was healed and he's walked home and believed that he was healed. We have to do our best to maintain that same level of faith for whatever it is we believe in the Lord for. You're praying for somebody that's in the hospital to get healed of cancer or you personally are dealing with different diseases and you're believing for healing. You're dealing with mental health challenges, depression, bipolar, whatever it may be. Um, Financial breakthroughs restoration and reconciliation of relationships marriages to be restored it requires this level of faith alright 
Verse 51, close it out. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. So this guy, that makes sense. It was a long trip for him to get back home. Because it says, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock. So this at least, let's say it's at least five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock. It's the next day. It's a whole new day. And they said that yesterday at one, why one o'clock? I wonder why it's one o'clock. Because afternoon, 1,300 hours, that's when the sun sun is at its peak. Anyway, I think there's some significance to why he chose 1 o'clock. Of all the times, they could have said 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, rock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Anyway, he could have said 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 2 o'clock. But they said 1 o'clock in the afternoon. His fever suddenly disappeared. It was a miracle. Verse 53. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. Remember when I was saying it yesterday or a couple of recordings ago about how one day when we're in heaven and we'll be able to look back on our lives and just different things. We'll be able to see a lot of the good. I'll be like this little movie or some Christian YouTube channel, whatever we can watch these old replays or it'll be a Christian TikTok. It'd be nothing but Christian TikToks on there. No twerking or anything. It's be all these memories of these times where Jesus did things in our lives where he protected us. Like last early this morning, I picked up this couple. It was my last well, second to third to last ride or whatever. And this random sketchy looking dude walked out of nowhere. And he looked like he wanted to like do something like bad. Or I don't know. He just didn't look trustworthy. He he looked he looked homeless, lost, and like he could probably use some help. Like, I don't know. But he didn't look I wasn't trying to find out. I was not in the position to do some homeless ministry. My goal was to get these people in the car, their bags in the car, and get them to the airport. Um, I just didn't have a good, I just have a good feeling in my spirit about this guy. And he kind of walked near my car, and then he like walked over to this like little stoop area, sat down, and then like walked past my car again, and just like looked at me the whole time. And I don't know. The whole situation is just strange. I'm, I, I look back on the situations like that. Or situations I don't even know about. How many times have we been protected? There's been like these angels, these host of angels protecting us and surrounding us from danger. That's why one of my our favorite prayers my brother and I do is like protect us from danger, seen and unseen. Where's I going with that? Oh, yes. One day we'll be able to look back. On all these times where God did miracles in our lives 
or just these little things that seem like coincidences or you like all these little winks from God and just being like, whoa, God was in every detail of my life. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, the bad stuff and the good stuff. All right. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Dope. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, or missed the mark, or veered off the path, and fallen short of the glory of God, or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will, not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, or you've walked away from him and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty precious name I pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, give me water. I know Jesus gave me water. Jesus gave me water. And it was not from the well. Singing Jesus gave me water. I know Jesus gave me Lord, she 
Lord, she be 